This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Divine Echoes, reconciling prayer with the uncontrolling love of God. How the heck does petitionary prayer work in a world where there's so much suffering and evil? Is praying for others just a religious, superstitious practice that does nothing at all except make the person praying feel better? If we don't pray for others, does God allow them to get sicker, lose potential rent money, and suffer in their addictions? Is that who God really is? Can we engage in prayer that is more effective, less harmful, and doesn't make God look like an unfair, stingy, and fickle jerk? If you are looking for a pioneering book on prayer that is thought-provoking, challenging, and endorsed by some of today's most well-known authors and scholars, then Divine Echoes is the book for you. Your Majesty, Sir Richard has arrived home from his quest. Sir Richard, you've slayed the dragon, and for your boldness, a choice of fabulous rewards, exotic pelts, rare gems, or riches the likes of which you've never seen. With more than 10 million in prizes, and the best odds of winning $300, should you choose them, ultimate riches await thee. May thy boldness be rewarded with the new Ultimate Riches Scratcher from DC Lottery. Please play responsibly. Mother's Day is coming, and if you don't get mom the perfect gift, she won't be angry, just disappointed. So go with Drinks from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Send favorites near, far, or to wherever the moms in your life are. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com and get the best drinks to the best moms and plenty of time for Mother's Day. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. What's up, friends? Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. On this episode, I brought on Becca McNeil, who's a journalist and author of the book, Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down. This is a great podcast, especially if you have kids and are wondering questions that I have. I mean, I have I have two kids, right? I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, and a nine-month-old, and I know at some point they're going to ask me about God and stuff like sex will come up inevitably. How do we navigate that as people trying to renegotiate our faith and trying to find better paths forward that doesn't necessarily re-indoctrinate our kids into the harmful theology a lot of us experience, but at the same time, give our kids some kind of foundation to to grow from. This podcast is all about that. I think you're really going to enjoy it. As always, I want to say a sincere thank you to everyone who listens to the show. If this show is helpful for you, would you consider giving us a rating and a review and subscribing to the show? It helps other people who are like us, trying to find better paths forward, know that we exist. It keeps the porch light on in the digital podcast world. So please make sure to like and subscribe and give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to remind you that I am doing a live in-person podcast event with Bradley Onishi, who is the author of the book, Preparing for War, and co-host of the Straight White American Jesus podcast, and Blake Chastine of the Exvangelical podcast, February 11th at 3.30 p.m. in Philadelphia. This is going to be an amazing conversation. Hopefully, you heard my interview with Bradley Onishi a few weeks ago. He is a powerhouse in the Christian nationalist and religious space trying to break 
break down why it's so dangerous to America and really to other countries around the world. So please pick up a ticket. The link is in our show notes. I cannot wait to meet you and hang out. It's going to be an amazing, amazing conversation. And as always, just a reminder, we are a nonprofit organization holding space for thousands of people as they navigate out of the basement of evangelical fundamentalism and into the house of the Christian tradition. If you want to support the work that we do, you can go to the link in our show notes and click on that link and you can make a donation. It is tax deductible for anyone in the States under our 501c3 nonprofit status. If you're new to the podcast, we podcast quite often, but we do so much other work. We have a private faith. Facebook community for people trying to renegotiate their faith and, and, and think about theology in new and hopefully better ways. We do a lot of Instagram stuff, a lot of TikTok stuff. We do a theology group. We do a conversation circle group. We do a book club. We do so much work helping people find better paths forward in the Christian tradition, and your donation makes that work possible. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my interview with Becca McNeil. I hope you enjoy it. I will talk to you all next time. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Smart Furniture. This was the company that hooked us up with an amazing table and set of chairs for our live podcast event that we had back in December, and they were wonderful to deal with. They ship nationwide, offer 45-day hassle-free returns, offer in-home delivery and installation because God knows we're not going to lose our mind trying to assemble a desk. And of course, they have award-winning customer support. Thank you so much, Smart Furniture, for providing what we needed for an amazing podcast. Go check out their huge selection at smartfurniture.com. All right. Well, Becca McNeil, thank you so much for making time uh, to record with me. It means a lot. And uh, you have a book that just came out. And I'm really happy you wrote this book because as we're going to discover, many people in the spaces that we hold um, are are asking this question. But we're going to get there, I promise. But in the meantime, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. I, I like asking every guest the same opening question. I, I'm always so curious, what's, what was your relationship to evangelicalism and Christianity as a child through your adult years? Did you, were you raised in the church? Were you outside of the church? We'd love to hear that. And then kind of how you got into writing a book about sure. bringing up kids when church lets <laughs> you down. The floor yeah. is yours. Yeah. So um, those two questions are obviously connected. <laughs> um, I grew up in the PCA, which is like in, especially in Texas, it's, you know, the evangelical conservative branch of the Presbyterian church. Yeah. And, um, I would say that in the South or like in, in our part in Texas, it's even more like it, even in feel is closer to like a non-denominational feeling in the, um, kind of cowboyish spirit still used hymns and everything, but, um, very fundamentalist, very mm. uh, like we used to literally sing, give me that old time religion. And, <laughs> um, and also, and I mentioned this in, in the book, like my pastor was a civil war fanatic. And so had a lot of like Confederate memorabilia <laughs> in the, in the church. Mm. And so it was, you know, and I grew up in the late eighties, nineties, and so the culture war stuff was very present. James Dobson was very present. 
um, purity culture was just kind of kicking, kicking up uh, Christian contemporary Christian music was getting big by the time I was in middle school and high school. Yeah. And um, so the, the culture was really thick. Um, and in, uh, in certain parts, more, like I would say that the Presbyterians are a little more doctrinally snobby than um, like my friends who went to EV free churches or whatever. But culturally it was very much defined by our like social positioning. And so being pro, you know, the nuclear family, which making him anti everybody else. And right. It's like really probably more about what we were against <laughs> than what we were for. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, and that's the, I think that's the experience that a lot of people my age, I'm in my late thirties. That's kind of the experience a lot of us had. And that led to a lot of conversations I started having during most explicitly during the Trump administration, but a mm -hmm. little bit along the way mm -hmm. um, of people just going, hold on. This is, this is all led to a very bad place. I don't, I don't like where this was headed. And I also have my own wounds and my own baggage, <laughs> you know, people. Yeah. And, and yet that we, we started having kids um, myself and people I would meet. I'm a reporter, so I talk to a ton of people and I report on schools. So I talk to a lot of parents yeah. <laughs> and these conversations just kept coming up about like, Hey, I was raised with all that. And so I don't necessarily want my kid learning it at school or, you know, and it just kept coming up. And so eventually I said, I'm going to start asking people if we can go on the record. I'm going to, you know, start asking people explicitly about this. And um, my first idea was to write an article, like mm. a news article, which is what I do for a living. And then I had so much that a friend was like, I think this might actually be a book. Yeah. And that's, and honestly, as a first time author, <laughs> the only reason I got through the door at the, the agency and at the, pu um, the publishing house was because other people there were having the conversation too. So if we weren't all in this boat, this book wouldn't exist. Well, that that is reassuring, I think, for me, um, and probably for many out there in the audience listening, because it can feel you can feel siloed, you can feel alone. Like, is anyone mm -hmm. else um, really not sure? Not only just how to parent, uh, but also now with this extra layer of okay, I'm Christian, but definitely not evangelical, like how I knew it to be. And I want to teach my kids a healthy spirituality and all that entails, but not sure how to do that because I'm still learning how to have my own <laughs> healthy exactly. spirituality, right? Exactly. And so here you come along writing a book, and the book is called, I'll say it again, Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down. It came out October 11th, so it's available now wherever you get your books. And I think one of my first questions um, that I was thinking about um, when I found out I was going to talk to you was how much of this is personal for you? Like, mm. I mean, do you, do you still identify as someone in like the Christian tradition, big tent picture? Or are you like, you know what? Mm -hmm. Not really my thing, but I have some experience or it's like, I'm walking through this as well. And here's what I've learned. What's your, what's your relationship to the book and this problem or challenge of parenting in a healthy way? Yeah. Well, the good news, my agent read it and he said, what? Well, I don't think you're an apostate. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, good. <laughs> Ooh, close call. 
<laughs> Glad to hear that. Um, heretic, maybe. Yeah. I state no. Um, I still identify as a Christian. To mm. me, there's enough in the Christian tradition, like there's 2,000 years of material to pull from, like you can yeah. find something. And for me, what it really it was, was that this was the language that I learned to talk to how I learned to talk to God. This was now some of that language has, is now too loaded and I've had to, you know, find other language, but there's so much in the tradition that I have been able to find what fits within this tradition. What's changed, I would say is that I have gotten less and less, I've started leaning more and more universal or universalist. Um, Simply by by virtue of the fact that once, if you were so rigid and so certain, and even the tiniest little doctrinal thing shifting seemed impossible, well, once one thing shifts, you start like, oh, what else can shift? What else is movable here? Yeah. And then you get to know people from other faiths and other places and other stuff, and you realize just how um, asinine it is. <laughs> Right, that like, right, right. Yes, I had it all. I had all the answers. Right, Everything right. was right. And it turns out your neighbor who maybe is not a Christian is actually nice and moral and loves their family and not trying to yes. you know, kill everyone or something crazy like that, right? So. Yeah. Or you go to grad, in my case, I went to grad school, which was my first time to live in and among uh, non-Christians. And I find some of my best friends and no one's trying to like debate me. No one's trying to like destroy my Christianity. Like I had one friend who used to be like, Oh, it really bothers me that you believe this because you're smart. Um, But he was the only one (laughs) of all of my friends. Most of my friends loved it. They were like, Oh, that's quirky. Wait, I have to ask, are you telling me that you went to a non-Christian college and it was not like God's Not Dead where the professor who's an atheist is trying to convince you, the poor, persecuted, white Christian, that your beliefs are total shit? Is that what you're saying did not (laughs) happen? It did not happen. I can't believe that. I I know. know. No one would debate with me. I was all alone with my beer and my cigar in the pub. (laughs) I set up a little sign, debates, five cents, and no one showed. Wow, you know, that just blows all my categories. I had no I idea people could be so nice. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, all right. I mean, well, I deconstructed yeah. anyway, so the point yeah, right. the point holds. It just didn't yeah. happen the way they said it would. <laughs> Fair enough. So there's obviously a lot to this, this topic, right? I mean, we can, a lot of different directions to go in. I want to try and hit a few of the big ones um, as simultaneously broad and narrow as possible. Um, mm-hmm. The first one I want to ask you is, How do you um, maybe in the book talk about approaching just the topic of God, right? Mm -hmm. With, with, with your kids, especially when for so many of us, I mean, I'm, and I'm one of these people, my version of God I inherited was that, Hey, God loves everyone, except you're a filthy, rotten sinner and will burn in hell unless you pray a prayer, but he still loves you. Right. It's like, that's (laughs) complicated. Very peculiar. (laughs) Right. So, you know, and I'm thankfully I am finding better ways forward in the Christian tradition, but now I'm taking very complicated things and trying to explain them to potentially a six-year-old when they ask, what is God? <laughs> you yeah. know. So let's start with that with, with, with that big picture idea of God. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? I am a big believer in like developmental appropriateness. I am a big that's this comes from reporting on education and talking to a lot of experts, um, curriculum experts, mostly. Um, and so I I think that there is 
I grew up with very developmentally inappropriate doctrine. Um, being told you're a sinner, you're disgusting, your righteousness is filthy rags, all this like yes. wild stuff. Yeah. Um, from, from at the same age that I was developing a sense of shame in for, around fourth grade, nine, mm. 10 years old. Not great timing. That's not how you want to do it. So mm. I've paid careful attention to developmental appropriateness. Um, when we had my father-in-law died when my kids were two and four. And um, when they talk, when we talk about death at that age, we, we just say heaven, like that's okay. Mm. Whether or not you believe in like a real afterlife, whether or not you believe in any form of hell, whether or not, you, whatever you believe, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with helping a two and a four year old process the end of someone that they love you know, as he's in heaven, like people get really bent out of shape about lying, <laughs> lying to their kids. And then they go celebrate Santa Claus. And I'm like, what guys, we mm. we're totally all over the map on this. Mm. Like it's okay. And that's part of what I've landed on. And again, this is through talking to different people um, is that it's okay to give kids like the bite the kid version you know when you look at like a kid's coloring book the lines are are pretty basic it's not super complex it's okay to get and meredith miller is like my favorite on this like she's a great instagram follow for all of your your every people. time i talk about this she comes up so i'm yeah, writing her down great. talk to meredith miller on the podcast okay it's written yeah, down she's yeah, fantastic. I, will do that. <laughs> I love her um because she's it's about like, okay, what's the main message they need to be getting here for where they are? What's the question they're actually asking? And so the other thing that I do that I think um, you see a lot in like the Montessori method and in actually probably just most good teaching is that I ask them when they say like, is God a boy or a girl? I need to figure out what they're actually asking. Are they asking me to like dig into the nature of a non-embodied being, you know, or what are they wanting? Right. So when they ask what happened to um, their grandfather, what are they really asking? Are they really asking? And and so turning it back to them and saying, well, what do you think? Hmm. And they're going to give you the kind of language that they're ready for. They're going to, they, if you're converse with them and you know them and you know the level that they talk about everything else and you like let them have ideas that becomes part of their growth. And it doesn't have to, I think another thing that our parents did a lot was that there was this fear that any kind of error was going to sneak in any kind yes. of heresy. And so at the end of every conversation, we had to reach orthodoxy. And I don't think that that's actually that important. I think you can just let your kids be kind of little heretics for as long as they need to be, as they develop what they believe. And introduce them to, well, here's an idea. Like, here's something that someone believes. Here's some, here's, and you're at the same time, you're hopefully raising them like with values and morals that are, you know, universal, like kindness and, you know, like, um, we don't hit people. Like you right. don't have to base that in the mosaic law. You can just base it in kindness yeah, interesting. You know, I, I I'll be honest. At first, I was like, 
Oh, they went to heaven. Like, that's not, uh, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, you know, we're not really sure what heaven really is. And maybe there's a redemption mm-hmm. of all things. And maybe there's not. I don't really know. But like you said, um, when when your child is two or four, right, mm-hmm. um, and they're asking a question, um, I can almost feel like I, I, I can project my own, <laughs> right, theology mm-hmm. of like, well, because I was taught this thing, I can't ever make a mistake with my kids. So here's the full answer. And then it's before you know, it, it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. As opposed to just getting deeper, at like what the heart of the question is, is actually looking for. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. Like with when a kid experiences or, you know, understands death for the first time, like they're freaked out. <laughs> they're not, I mean, they're they're hopefully not panicking. But it's like, whoa, what? Right. And if you start going into like, well, here's some different ideas about what happens when we die and like the annihilation theory and all this right. stuff. Like you're right. just, they want to know, am I safe? Hmm. They want to know. The kids are constantly just wanting to know that they're loved and they're safe. And so I think that, and that the people that they love are safe. And like to have somebody who's not with you anymore is traumatic enough to, to like trying to explain that now they don't exist. If that, if, and I think if you want to, if you're really convinced that there's no heaven and you would feel bad saying that to your kid, you can find a way to say our time with them on earth is over. And, and what we have is the memory and our, whatever you want to say. Right. If you're certain about it, if you're not certain about it though. Right. Just go with what makes them feel safe and secure mm. and loved. Okay. Yeah. That's helpful. You know, I, I talking about death was on my, my list. So I'm glad, I'm glad that we kind of, t- um, hit that a little bit. How about when, you know, when, when, when kids get a little bit older, they're seven, they're eight, they're more curious, right. And they come mm-hmm. home and like, what is God, you know, what is, mm-hmm. and they can actually have more of a dialogue with you yeah. appropriately, of course, you know, what do you recommend is like just some, maybe some principles because every parent's different, every kid's different, yeah. right? And, and each parent will have to use wisdom and context to to decide how they communicate this. But are there some principles or ideas to kind of keep in the back of our head with maybe how we have that discussion with our kids when they start asking that? Hmm. Um. I'm not a theologian or a like. I don't have my own theories on this, but from what I gleaned from other people for the book and like yeah. the different things that I heard that, that we're using now because somebody, some smart person told them to me. Um, one is that we're always reinforcing you're loved and you're accepted and God is for you. Mm. Whatever God is, whether it's a being or a force or a, the love between people. Yeah. It's, it is in your corner and embracing you and accepting you and loving you. It's really hard for kids to understand. I have found <laughs> um, a, the idea of a personal being that's not like a defined body. That's right. tough. So we're just kind of flexible about using which pronouns we use. Like I personally don't use a pronoun for God. Um, yeah, same. I, I let, I don't, I don't correct my kids when they do. Um, <laughs> You're you know. chastising your seven-year-old. No, it's they, <laughs> Bobby. Like, and and right. exactly. And sense. so like they use, and but we've had a conversation about is God a boy or a girl? And we talked about how God was neither. Hmm. And that's fine. But I don't then hold them to that. I don't like, they are forming a relationship and what, 
what I'm starting to realize is that like, if I don't believe that there's a bunch of rigid criteria about God, I really am not in a place where I can like demand that other people have my same exact non-rigid criteria. <laughs> right. Right. No, I think that's fair. A hundred percent. And I think that that kind of ties into the concept of raising kids to live with both the security of faith, right? And the freedom of open-mindedness, maybe flexibility. Yeah. I, I like the word flexible personally, just for mm-hmm. my own framework helps me mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, so what are your thoughts on that as far as like, you know, yeah, we want to give our kids some kind of like foundation that is healthy and, and flourishing, but also we want to be flexible and kind of let them explore, right? And kind of get their mm-hmm. hands on things and and start making some of their own decisions, again, age appropriately. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Just it's asking questions and asking them what they think about that and mm. letting them letting them kind of lead the conversation sometimes. Yeah. And not letting our anxiety kick in and be like I need to make sure that you land on the right place on this. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's funny because in in this line of work that I I do, I say often that um just because we left fundamentalism doesn't mean that we can't become fundamentalists all over again, right? Oh, yes. And we have to be careful about that because mm-hmm. even new beliefs that maybe we find really powerful and, and and convincing, we can easily become fundamentalists all over again yes. saying, well, now I found new absolute <laughs> beliefs, right? So yeah. I, I like that because um, I think that sometimes as, as a parent, and again, ours are young, uh, they're two and seven months. So I'm not fully in, you know, con- I'm, not, I'm not conversing with them all the time on, on even full sentences yet. We're getting there. Right. Um, but I can already see myself at times unintentionally projecting, right? <laughs> my own fears of, of whatever I think, whether it's, no, you have to have new beliefs now that are really healthy. Yeah. These are definitely the most healthy beliefs. Um, you know, I'm almost scared of like giving them the wrong tools and yes. I end up projecting my own insecurities on them, which is yes. not helpful ultimately. Yes. And this is throughout the book. I mean, one of the early stories I tell is that like trying to listen to too many people and like having not gotten rid of my own perfectionism, which was a result of the way I was raised. Yeah. Um, I then tried to be the perfect liberal or the perfect progressive I, or the perfect right. whatever. <laughs> yeah. And the really the, the book is so much about exactly what you just said. Like the things that you were formed by a religion. So you can get rid of like the leaves on the tree or if you, if you will, or like the doctrine or the specifics, but the formation, the way that you're shaped, the way that you interact with the world, your perfectionism, your certainty, your anxiety and all that stays behind. And that's where um, we get ourselves into trouble with our relationships with our kids. <laughs> Cause that's mm. the other thing is that you want to have a, you want your faith and your child's faith to support this bond between you. Because mm. a lot of kids experienced alienation from their parents as a result of these very rigid faith traditions Mm. and the sense that their parents love was conditioned on them staying, you know, orthodox or faithful. And that's what you're trying to avoid. And that can show up no matter what you believe. Right. Yes. I think audience, that's such an important part 
uh, for us to recognize. You know, like like again, I know a lot of us think like, oh, only Christian fundamentalism is unhealthy, but really, fundamentalism of any kind can become unhealthy. We just happen to experience it through a Christian lens, which of course we know has major problems and causes a lot of harm, and we we have an obligation to do better. Uh, but just because it's here doesn't mean it can't happen in other places, right? Which I think is important yeah. to recognize. And yeah. yeah, I think obviously certain theologies lend themselves <laughs> to this more than yeah. others. Sure. Like a, a universalist belief does not tip, like go as quite as quickly into right. um, rigid certainty as a belief in an like eternal torment hell. Right. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, some of them play off of our psychology in really unhelpful ways, but um. I see this. It's I see it less in the doctrine and more in the social aspect of it. I see it in this like oversensitivity to saying the wrong thing. I'm I grew up in a world where saying the wrong thing landed you in the pastor's office and they were talking to you about your sin and you were being told that you couldn't be on this, you know, leadership council or whatever anymore. You couldn't go on this mission trip because you had sinned in this way and every little thing that you said and did was being surveilled and misinterpreted and whatever. And I see that same anxiousness and um, whatever it when in progressive spaces a lot, when we're trying not to like offend, we're trying to, and there's, it's great to be opening up and being like, Oh, I actually do want to be kind to, to more people and not just be like, well, if, if I offend you, that's in the Lord and you know, the God is offended by you. It's great to step away from that. It can get to a place where we are just as rigid and ungracious and people are just as afraid to speak around us because the cost of being wrong is so high. Yeah. No, I like that. That's really helpful. Um, I want to move on to maybe one of the big, big ones. Let's talk about <laughs> sex. Yeah. All right. One of the big ones. And this is something that I thought about a lot, uh, having two boys, um, that at some point we're going to have a series of conversations as they grow. And, you know, I think about there's a lot of angles to this, right? Because there's obviously just normal hormones and just sex drives that that blossom through puberty. Then there's our culture that seems to me very um, sex obsessed, I would say. And pornography is incredibly accessible um, in very unhealthy ways, especially for for the minds of teenagers and, and, and right. young folks, right? Kids, Who are just, yeah. their brain cannot, cannot comprehend what they're seeing. Not to mention pornography and websites that have pornography, you can find very disturbing pornography very right. quickly. We're not talking about, you know, two people in love, you know, doing something. We're talking about things <laughs> yeah. that are really dehumanizing, right? And degrading. Uh -huh. And 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 I don't want my boys learning about sex through pornography. I think it's really unhealthy. No. Right. <laughs> well, and it's um, it's okay to not want your kids to see porn. You're, I don't think you're you're just like anti-sex if you're kind of like you know I would really like for all of your sexual interactions to be between two consenting humans in real time. Right, and I think I think where I struggle is listen. If I could find porn as a teenager without a phone in my hand, 
right? Mm-hmm. And I could find it through like file sharing software, like easily. Um, mm-hmm. How much more can my kids, even uh, inadvertently, they just type the wrong things in, right? And all of a sudden, yeah. boom, they're exposed. And that's TikTok what I think just, about. Like algorithms it into them. They don't even yes. have to look and, for and it. And that, that does, that, and maybe we, 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 we'll, we'll touch on how to handle technology too, because I feel like, like these things are kind of intertwined. But mm-hmm. for now, let's park on maybe the sex conversation for a bit. And let's start with, with, with just the concept of you, you gave this to me as something to talk about. I love that finding a different path other than true love waits, purity culture. And here's yeah. where I'm stuck. I'm going to give you my perspective and kind of get your feedback on it. Sure. I find myself in, in this place of, listen, I don't think purity culture ultimately is really beneficial. I don't think true love waits. And I did all this stuff, by the way, I waited sure. to have sex. till I was married. Okay. I had immense guilt whenever my girlfriend and I went too far. I mean, mm-hmm, I, I would get mm-hmm. sick to my stomach. This is a true story. I'm going to embarrass myself, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> On my first kiss, I threw up afterwards. I was oh, so no. anxious. I know it's true. At least it wasn't during. No, it was not during. I'm a gentleman, <laughs> but no, but for real. I mean, I really, I was so worked up. Right at right. the same time, I I don't think that that sex should be taken lightly, right? I'm not a big right. fan of our hookup culture either of like, hey, uh, you know, get drunk, uh, find someone, and uh, hopefully it works out for you. I, I don't yeah. think that's healthy long term either. And so Mm -hmm. I would just kind of love your thoughts on like, how do we approach sex with our kids, especially considering that most people you're talking to or a good chunk of them probably have the purity culture side, Mm -hmm. you know, really that's what they experience way more than the hookup culture side. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, or they like swing radically between the two extremes. Yes. Um, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Talk to a lot of those people. True. Um, So the, the big thing about the, I mean, no one I talk to has found the new sex ethic that, I mean, everyone is on the quest for like, who is going to develop the, like, right here is the new way to talk to people. Everybody agrees like, okay, consent is really important. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, orgies are consensual. I don't want my 17 year old being part of one. Sorry. It's a fair point. (laughs) It's, you know, BDSM, great about consent. Like that community is really, really consent based. It can be very empowering and stuff. If my kids get into that as adults, that is their choice. And there is nothing I can do about it. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's something that parents have to like, it's so difficult to just say like, at the end of the day, they're going to be who they're going to be and they're going to be into what they're into. And my job is to make sure that they are in conversation with wise people who can help keep them safe and help them process things that happen. Because even when like, think about impurity culture, the fact that we didn't feel like we could talk to adults about our, you know, sex lives. Um, as as experienced or inexperienced as they were. Yeah. And so when people would be um, assaulted or pushed to go too far or whatever, they, they, had, they couldn't talk to somebody because the first thing that that person went to was, well, how were you dressed or what was your, what part was your fault? And so there was no safe place to talk. Right. So what you're trying to do, and Linda K. Klein is great on this. Um, she contributed a lot to my chapters on this is that you want to be the person your kid talks to 
so that their unique sexual development based, it's going to be changed by the people they encounter. It's going to be changed by the things that they want and don't want. It's going to be changed by a lot of different things, but you want to be one of the voices in that conversation for them. The way you want to help them pick a college, the way you want to help them decide a bunch of other things, you want to be one of those people they can come to because you have, you're an adult with a fully formed prefrontal cortex and you're for them. Like you love them more than anybody they're hooking up with prior to age 18. <laughs> like you are way more interested in their thriving and growth than any boy they think or girl they think they're in love with. And so <laughs> you want to be part of that conversation. But to do that, I think they have to know that they can come to you with whatever it is, which means, and I, the way I talk about it as well in the book is that it's not just sex. It's can they come to you when they're fighting with their friends? Can they come to you with their quirky interest? Can they show you the music that they like without you um, taking over and trying to change them and control them? And I think that's what it is. It's about being a, like letting it follow a path where you're going, is this healthy? Is the person that you're interacting with feeling loved? Are you, what is this doing with you? But being open to the fact that that's a conversation between you and your kid. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Except for the music part. If my kid brings bad music, <laughs> I'm throwing oh. that shit out the window. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to tell you this right now because there's, this comes up in the book as well. Like my husband is a, is a musician and very, very, same, very snobby about music. And um, <laughs> our kids have grown up. We've always had a little, been very smug about their taste in music. Well, now they're eight and six and we are not the only people introducing them to music and yeah. the stuff they they get to make Amazon playlists for themselves uh. and the stuff on those playlists. My husband is just like, where did I go wrong? I, I listen as I still play music professionally to this day. And uh, as someone in those spaces, I totally get it. But mother's day is coming. And if you don't get mom, the perfect gift, she won't be angry, just disappointed. So go with drinks from Drizzly, the go-to app for alcohol delivery. Send favorites near, far, or to wherever the moms in your life are. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com and get the best drinks to the best moms and plenty of time for Mother's Day. Ding dong, it's Drizzly. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits. Not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's back were saved. Shop QVC.com podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. Uh, I, I really, 
I love what you said. You know, there, there's a theme I've been thinking about on a bigger picture that I think really feeds into this conversation, and that is the concept of wisdom. Like, how do we help mm-hmm. our kids learn to make wise choices, right? Because I feel like I was given a framework of here. here's the list of the do's and don'ts, and mm-hmm. context or, or what's happening at the moment does not affect if these do's and don'ts are still do's and don'ts, right? Right. Um, and, and there are some things I say, okay, I think that some of those things still are fair that, yes, no matter what the context, this is a don't, this is a do. But there are a lot of things, and I think sex is one of those things, where we're, we're learning to make wise decisions is a better framework than here's the do's and don'ts. Uh, yes. you know, flat out because context, relationship, your own personal boundaries, the other person's boundaries, right, are all going to be different based on, on on what's happening and the age and the and the type of relationship that you're involved with. And I do think that is maybe like part of the parents' responsibility is passing on wisdom, right, uh, age appropriately throughout your 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 child's you know growth and 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 becoming a place where they can participate in a dialogue of, well, based on what I know, here's what I was thinking. And then you as the adult can say, well, hey, that might be good, but have you ever considered this angle, right? Mm-hmm. And then if your kid d- doesn't listen to you, right? And they, it turns out they made a mistake, letting them learn from that mistake, right? Mm-hmm. To become a better human next time. So that's yeah. kind of how I thought about some of this stuff. And and obviously you keep boundaries where you like, oh no, my kid really does want to go participate in some kind of, you know, I give this example. Um, my parents were actually not terrible on, <laughs> on purity culture. So like they didn't, they were both kind of weirded out by how obsessed the church was with all of that. And I don't know, they were just, they were pretty reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was a freshman in high school, there was uh, like a, alumni thing at my school and these guys from college came back and one of the guys from college wanted to take me to a party. And my mom is just like, um, (laughs) and he comes up like there's this homecoming game and my parents were picking me up from the homecoming game. And this college kid goes up to my mom and says, please, Mrs. Stolhansky, can I take her uh, to the party? I'll have her back by 10 (laughs) AM. And my mom (laughs) bursts out laughing and she's like uh no i'm sorry and i'm just like oh my gosh mom you're so lame you're making me look like a baby right she said honey when you are an adult and actually probably before you're even fully an adult you will realize that if i had said yes to that i would be a bad mom right right and so there's stuff like that where it's like it's not like your kid comes in and he's like hey i'm gonna go take part in a gang rape Um, Because I think that's in line with my values. And you don't, as a parent, have to be like, well, if that's what you believe. Right. You can say, absolutely not. And here's why. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But that's different than your 16 or 17-year-old saying, hey, I've been dating my my partner for six months. Um, I really, really want to do this. We've thought, you know, and what do you think, mom? (laughs) You know, yeah. you can give your thoughts, but at that point, you have to go. This choice has to be yours, or you're not going to make it. Right. Yeah. No. I, I. That makes 
a ton of sense. Yes, there are definitely lines that a parent has to say, I'm, I'm calling it here. Okay? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, throwing in the parent card. You can't kill people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you can't do this. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. And I think that's really helpful. Let's go back maybe for a minute here. I know um, time is really flying, man. And there's other, th- other things I want to get to. <laughs> but I do want to kind of go back to this pornography conversation. And the mm-hmm. reason why is because it's just incredibly like I, I if, if either one of my boys do not see porn before they're 18, they will be a minority. Uh, they might boys. be like alone <laughs> on a desert island. Right, right. I mean, it's going to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And so my thing is not so much like how do I stop it from happening, which of course I want to do that as well, sure. but I know yeah. someone's going to get through. When that happens, right, then that becomes a different kind of conversation because pornography can be a very highly addictive thing, especially mm-hmm. for someone whose hormones is exploding, right? And new new, new neuron connections are being formed. Um, yeah. And it can be easy for patterns to happen, again, that start forming people in unhealthy ways at that mm-hmm. age. It's really important mm-hmm. to recognize. What are some of your thoughts on like, how do we as parents, um, you know, how do we have those conversations? How do we help uh, our kids like not fall into a really unhealthy, um, you know, dependency uh, on pornography that 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 shapes their minds in very dehumanizing ways towards you know people that they're romantically interested in, et cetera? What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Um, these are just my straight thoughts because I have yeah. not done a lot of research on this, and I'm as a journalist, you just always caveat like I'm not. This is just me. I I would say that, and we are getting closer than you are, you know, we're at age eight and they have devices that they have to use for school. And we hear about, you know, things that have right now, it's still creepy pastas that they're interested in. Um, and that's proven frustrating enough. Mm. Um, but I would probably approach it the way I would approach like alcohol, for instance, like, Am I giving it to my kids? Am I like just indiscriminately like, hey, have a beer after school at age 12? No. Um, Am I, you know, and obviously every analogy breaks down, like how you feel about a sip of alcohol here and there is different. That's not how porn works. But um, they know where you stand on it. You know, I think at some point in this day and age, you have to have a conversation with your kid, unfortunately, early about like, hey, here's something that can come up. Here's some, If you're going to a friend's house, if they start watching this, this is why. But I think it's so important to be like, hey, here's why. Not because it's bad or you're going to go to hell or whatever, but like explain. I explain stuff to my kids all the time about addiction and their brain. We talk about that with sugar. We talk about it with sleep, like why mm. they need more sleep. We talk about brain development and I say, yeah, I'm, I want what's best for you. And the doctors and the scientists and everyone is telling me that, that too much sugar is really bad for your brain. And that's why I'm going to cut you off now. Right. Um, and that's why we're not going to have it after this amount of time screens before bedtime. Like we have tons of this stuff and we treat the moral stuff very similarly. Like it wouldn't be good for you. And that's what I'm telling you at the end of the day, if they don't own it, if they don't agree with you, they're going to sneak around and do it. If they haven't decided, I agree because developmentally they're going to start separating from you at, you know, middle school, high school and not really caring. Like 
my mom was always like, I'm just going to be the scariest person. And I'm like, no, because eventually no matter what you do to me, it's scarier to me for my friends to think I'm lame. Like the threat that you're never going to, at a certain point, you're not the biggest threat. So you can't, you can't threaten them. You can't whatever. But I do also know that like with substances, drugs and alcohol, you know, they come home from a party drunk once you have that conversation about like, how you feeling, you know? Right. Right. You know, they do it twice. You change the conversation. What, but if they are addicted, you treat them as an addict hmm. and you get help. Like I'm your parent. I'm here to help you. And I'm responsible for you. I would say with porn, it's kind of the same thing. They come home and they're like, Hey, I was at this slumber party or you find it, you know, you find it on their iPad or whatever you, you have a conversation yeah, and you just, you deal with it in proportion. I think proportionality yeah. is key. Yeah. And so I, unfortunately I think we're just, we're so used to like a, just don't like abstinence being our approach to both sex and every other thing. Right. That this nuance of like development and proportionality and going down the road with them and kind yeah. of saying like, all right, look, and and the other thing I've heard from older folks who had gone through the teenage years is like you can do that, but we're going to have to talk about it, and then you have, like you're right. going to have to endure this long right. conversation with me if that's really what you want. I'll make do. it nice and awkward. You know? Yeah, and I'm going to say all the words. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know that that is again really helpful. I love that last part about just proportionality and just you know again using wisdom based on, on, on the moment. And also I will say, this is maybe a shameless plug, but I used to work for Apple and, and their, uh, their parental features are really unbelievable. I mean, you can do yes. a lot and you can, and they're, they're really, they put a lot of effort into making sure that, 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 that kids who have devices, um, have a safe, um, experience on the internet, you know? And so mm-hmm. I really recommend to parents out there to definitely, you know, have passwords on your iPad. You, you, you can turn on content filters for everything. You can get rid of apps that, that can't be redownloaded without a special password. Oh. So all those things are <laughs> well kids worth. iPads are basically for drawing. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my, my wife, our two-year-old loves trains and, and we just discovered YouTube kids, you know, mm-hmm. where it just feeds him kid, no ad friendly content and that's it, you know? So there are ways out there to also help your kids be set up for success, right? Without yeah. un- un- unintentionally finding something that, that, that they just were not looking for. And I think that's important to recognize. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's move on to maybe maybe the kind of the last topic that I think we'll kind of fill out the rest of our time. And again, thank you so much, uh, Becca, for making time and coming on the show and talking about this. I can't tell you how often people ask me this question. I'm like, listen, I have a two-year-old and a seven-month-old. I am not your guru here. (laughs) I have some thoughts, but I'm just riffing, you know? So uh, these are uh, untested and unproved ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about discipline, okay? Another big one, right? Um, You know, I'm going to be honest. I grew up in a very loving household. My parents, I would never categorize them as abusive. I was spanked as a child. Some might say, well, right there, there, that's abuse. But honestly, they were very good with it. They were very clear. They were never... I cannot think of one time where I ever felt like my mom or dad was angry at me, but they were just taught because they grew up when I grew up, but they got saved at 18, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and went from one extreme kind of to the other. And they were, they, they went through growing kids God's way, all this kind of stuff. Right. 
and and so I listen for those of you out there. I know that's not maybe everyone's experience. Okay, I know that spanking and hitting was weaponized and was abusive, and I don't want to downplay that. That just wasn't my experience. However, my wife and I do have an approach of not spanking. We decided for mm-hmm. us that's just not the room the realm that we want to go down. Although I will be honest, having a two year old, there have been times where I'm you'll, like, you know, I kind of get that it. conviction. <laughs> I yes. kind of get why my parents might have used this form of discipline. Yeah. Um, so that being said, you know, um, s- discipline, spanking, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Um, we'd love to kind of get in the book. How do you, how do you approach discipline, et cetera? We'd, lo- we'd yeah. love your insight. So I'm, I'm with you. I have, um, again, in my journalism work, definitely talked to tons of experts and people who say any form of spanking is inherently abusive. You're, you're hitting them, you're using physical violence and it always leaves a scar. Anecdotally, um, myself and others, uh, I, I think that it is perfectly possible to spank, to have been spanked or to spank children who do not grow up to be like violent, abusive. You know, I don't, I, I don't see my parents spanking like the act of the spanking as abusive. Um, or nearly as damaging as some of the spiritual and emotional Mm. um, control stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't love, I tell a pretty horrific spanking story in the book, but I, at the same time, don't think the fact that a spanking was involved was necessarily the, the problem. It was just the overall discipline scenario. Mm. Um, And, and that's what I get at in the book is that like, Yes, I acknowledge that there's a spanking debate. I acknowledge like there's experts here. There's at the same time, there's tons of people who are raising healthy families and include a very, very nuanced particular kind of spanking. Um, I don't think just wailing on your kids is ever okay. Like I don't, right. and I don't think right. any proponent of spanking, even James Dobson would say that it is. Um, so that aside, my approach to discipline was basically, again, trying to move us away from this. Okay, we're going to be avid spanking people to being like really rigid non-spank people who feel the need to go tell every other parent who's spanking their kids that they're abusive and, you know, reports people in the parking lot, um, you know, in an effort to kind of keep us in this balanced place, saying, actually, the bigger issue in our discipline is that we have to deal with um, the fact that we've been taught that we and our children are kind of we're in a power struggle. Yes. yes. And that you have to win. Yeah. And that is a very like changing your perspective on what's the goal of this interaction and is actually much more helpful in changing the way you discipline. Cause the other thing is that if you're still trying to get obedience from your child, every time, if you're still viewing this as a power struggle, it's almost impossible not to spank because there are times with a pre-rational kid where your physical size is the only thing you have going for you. Like their, their brains are going faster than yours. They're not responding to reason. You know, you need them to do the thing. And so you, you either, threaten or bribe or spank or do one of those things that you didn't think you wanted to do. So the only thing we can do really is it's about getting underneath and saying, Oh, it's the fact that I'm wanting their obedience 
or I'm wanting them to conform to my agenda. That is the, that's the underlying thing here. And I need to instead be thinking about training them and their brain development. And um, how many times is it rational to expect to have to ask a kid to clean up their room before they do it? And like, there's people who study this stuff and can tell you about the brain science and how to get more, more cooperation and more um, like of a positive response from your kids because you're not firing up their, you know, lizard brain and stuff like that and how to incorporate emotions and stuff into all of this. Well, that's really helpful. And that's one of the reasons why my wife and I decided to take a a non-spanking approach, so to speak, because we realized that like, you know, that form of discipline is usually used for power and control to make sure, hey, Mm -hmm. kid, I'm in charge of you and I'm going to make you submit to whatever I tell you, however I tell you. And if you don't, this is the consequence. And also I did find it ironic, you know, like my my two-year-old, he gets excited and and he kicks, you know, he just starts Mm -hmm. waving his feet. And my -hmm. wife sometimes will be on the receiving uh, receiving end of that and Mm -hmm. will say to stop and he won't, right? Right. And am I teaching him not to kick by also then inflicting you know, right. you have to look physical at physical pain. You know, like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, don't hit as I as I spank you. It oh, doesn't make best. a lot of sense. And you right? can do that. It's not even physical. Like, speak kindly to each other. Right, right, right. That's our and, favorite. And, exactly right. And so for us, we said. You know, this is not the approach we want to take. Obviously, there has to be discipline involved at times. You know, we do little timeouts here and there when needed. But I have found that that I get more flies with honey, so to speak, right? And I found that like if I want my two-year-old to learn some age-appropriate responsibility of like, okay, you just dumped out this bowl of spaghetti, uh, help daddy clean it up exactly. is a better response than you're in trouble, go to your room, or you know, you're gonna get spanked for it because he's two. Uh exactly. so I have found that to be a, a more helpful approach than um, you know, spanking my child. That's also a more helpful approach for an adult because when the adult you know, gets drunk and crashes the car, just slapping him with a penalty is one thing, but saying like, okay, you're going to have to go help that person rebuild their mailbox. Right. You know, 12 step programs built on making amends. It's actually training them much more long-term when you're saying not just don't go out in the street, but like, let's watch the cars go by. Do you understand? And like I said, when they believe it and agree, it becomes part of their story and something they can build on and not just a bunch of loose. One of the things every child development expert says, you keep your rules simple and few Mm. and, and very positively oriented. And I have been in homes where there's a 50, 50 different, you know, no elbows on the table. We, you know, we chew with all these just different rules, rules, rules. And the kids are just constantly trying to remember them. When really like fundamental principles Mm. are much easier. Was that kind? When you, when you stole your sister's crayons, was that kind? How how do you think she feels? What do you think you should do? Right. And they don't make the right choice sometimes. And sometimes you say, you know, if it's a situation where you have to say, okay, well, I need to take care of your sister too. Right. And I need to make sure that she gets her crayons. And I'm unfortunately, that means I'm going to have to, if you don't want to give them back on your own, I am going to need to take them from you. 
Right. And it's doing it in this way that's like, I'm explaining and it's so hard and you don't get it all right. And that's the big thing is that you're going to screw up and you're going to scream and you're going to threaten. You're going to throw stuff away. You're going to do the whole deal. And then you get to do the best part, which every developmental expert I, and uh, every developmental expert I interviewed said, this is good. And it aligns with our Christian ethics is that you get to ask for forgiveness (laughs) and it's, it's so like the sweetest moments in my child raising are when I go to them and say, I am so sorry that I acted like that. That is not how I should have acted. Mm. I hurt your feelings. I was trying to control you and make you do what I wanted you to do because I was frustrated, but I should have just worked with you to, you know, whatever. Or is there anything I can do to make you feel better? Yeah. And so yeah. that's, I. it builds up. It shows them how you handle it. You don't get defensive. You don't double down. You don't try to justify yeah. yourself. They're going to need that because they're going to screw up. And so they're going to need that skill too. And it's a chance to model it and a chance to put them in a place where they have the agency to forgive. It's such a good thing. And I think that, um, Always, always, always just thinking about like this, this, what there's a grown up version of this life skill because there's yes. not a grown up version of obedience that is good. <laughs> there's, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of folks who grew up like maybe myself or you experienced adults who could never admit when they made a mistake, right? They couldn't say sorry. They couldn't say they, because they had to win the power struggle, right? Like they had to make sure that they, as the parent or the caregiver, or whoever was always right, even if they weren't, and they mm-hmm. could never show weakness to their inferior, right? In, right? in kind of a way. And and I think that's a really important part to point out is that listen, you know, you might be listening to this and saying, Oh my God, how do I do this right? Well, it's that isn't the, the point, right? Because right. none of us are perfect. We all know that. But if we have a um um an attitude bent towards what I call repentance or being able to recognize that we're not perfect and we're able to admit that, uh, I think that models for our kids better ways of being human long-term because even mom and dad make mistakes, right? Yes. None of us. I mean, I, I have friends of mine who on Instagram will talk about how spanking isn't the right thing to do. And, and then on, on a phone call or in person, they're like, I was so close today though. I was so <laughs> close. You know, like you <laughs> yeah. could, if I only told you what my five-year-old did, you know, and it's oh, like, yeah. okay, thank you. Like, like we can admit that we're not perfect people, right? Sometimes our, our kids do get out on nerves. Sometimes we lose our temper. And mm-hmm. the more important part is not that, oh my God, I screwed up, but can I let my kid know that was not a good response and I want to do better. I think that's the model forward that hopefully lets our kids know that humility and grace and repentance are things that are worth embodying as people. And we being the parents kind of ahead of them have an obligation to demonstrate that for them. Yeah. And you still belong in this family when you screw up because that's the ultimate goal. Love that. that There's nothing you can do to make me not love you. Hmm. There's no screw up. There's nothing. And because we have this family where people mess up and then they ask, they make, not only do they ask for forgiveness, they then help repair. And that's wonderful. And I think that's the, that's the thing. And I want to be clear. I, (laughs) right as I was ending that, I said, there's no good adult form of obedience. And I could just hear like all of the boomer generations heads explode. Um, (laughs) 
I think that when you were raised just obeying, like, yeah. just obey, just obey, just do what I say. You reach your 20s and then you have to make a bunch of decisions and you have no idea how. Yes. That's my yes. takeaway on obedience. <laughs> I'm with you all the way. I'm with you all the way. Um, Becca, it was great having you on the podcast. Your book is out now. It is called Bringing Up Kids When Church Lets You Down. It is available wherever you get your books. Um, is it is it on audiobook as well? It is. It is. Perfect. So it's on audiobook as well. A lot of folks, including myself, we love those audiobooks. So um, I, I appreciate it. They did a great job with the audiobook. I don't read it. Someone um, professionally does and oh it's wow <laughs> it's very nice so cool um where can folks find you i mean are you on social media do you have these conversations somewhere else etc um i am on social media instagram i am still on twitter um for now just watching seeing what burns down and what doesn't um uh i'm on i have an author page on facebook and i have a website that's the my newsletter is where you're going to hear the most musings i don't do a whole lot of like I'm not as good on Instagram with the like, here's my deep thoughts or anything. <laughs> so, but <laughs> you can sign enough. up on my newsletter for my newsletter on my website. Sounds good. Becca, thanks so much for making time and coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was great. That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds Wrap. And the sound of me not doing dishes. And the sound of me spending more time outside with my family. Easy prep, cook, and clean. Make time with Reynolds Wrap. I like the sound of that.